Hey, praise God for a uh, great song, a great time of worship. You glad to be here today? Excited to be here? All right. How many Giants fans we got in the room? Who's rooting for the Giants tonight? We got some Giants fans. Anybody willing to say they're rooting for the Patriots? Anybody? Yeah? Yeah? Who's watching for the commercials? You know, maybe that's all you got in mind. You're just you going to watch for the commercials. Should be a good day. I just want you to know if you have a ticket that you can't get rid of for the Super Bowl, I take it. Um, I'd be happy to take that off your hands. But hey, we have a middle school group that meets during this time. Uh, they're going to be heading out back side door. If you want to be a part of that middle school group, uh, you can go with them now. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited this morning. I don't know if you've had a chance to take a peek down our brand new Gin Kids hallway. Uh, it looks amazing. It really does. The carpet will be put in this week. And if everything goes as planned, we'll be using uh, those rooms next Sunday. And as someone said this morning, I mean, just the opportunities uh, that continue to open up as we expand this facility. It really is really cool. And I want to remind you this morning uh, that your faithfulness and your giving and your generosity is helping to make that possible. And I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for your sacrificial giving. It's part of the reason why we get a little excited when we take an offering around here because God's good. And so with that, I'm going to invite our host team to come forward and uh, let's give up our uh, praise to him today. Hey, before we get started, uh, you've probably been seeing a lot of people wearing a red t-shirt that says get connected or connected on it. Uh, we want to remind you the importance of getting in a connection group here at Genesis Church. And we've got a number of groups that are starting this week and next week. And if you're not in a group yet, you're missing out on part of the experience here at Genesis Church. We want to challenge you to get in a group. You can read about that in your worship program today or just outside of these doors to your left, we've got a little living room area set up. We'll have some people there after this service. Uh, get connected to a group. Uh, get to know some people around you. Be a part of a Bible study. We're going to start a brand new series next week. We've got a bunch of people going through that series with us. So I want to invite you to check that out. And again, you can do that right after the service. Um, how many of you have spent some significant time with kids? And maybe that means you're a parent. And so lots of time with kids. Maybe you help out in Gen Kids. Uh, maybe you've got a niece or a nephew that you've been a real part of their life. But more than that, how many of you have ever spent significant time around a toddler? All right. Anybody? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I came across this. Maybe you've heard of this before. Maybe you've heard this. These are the toddler's rules of possession. Toddler's rules of ownership, sort of the bill of rights of sorts. Uh, for the toddlers in America today, it goes something like this. If, if I like it, it's mine. Uh, number two, if it's in my hand, it's mine. Uh, if I can take it from you, it's mine. Uh, if I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. Uh, if I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. Uh, if I saw it first, yep, it's mine. And if you're playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. And if it's broken, it's yours. All right? Those are the uh, toddler's rules of possession. But whose money is it? Is it your money? Or is it God's money? H how do you view that with your possessions? Uh, God's got something to say about this for us. In Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, it starts this way. The earth is the Lord's, and what? And everything. Say it with me. And everything in it, in the world, and all who live in it. You know, the key word here, the key word is the word everything. It all belongs to the Lord. Everything. Everything that you have, everything that you've been blessed with, your life, my life, your money, my money, the Bible teaches us that it all belongs to the Lord. And that's why we're in this series uh, called My Money, My Life. This series isn't about the church getting your money. 
It's not about me getting your money. And in fact, I'll tell you that God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need it. He's more interested in your heart. He's more interested in your life. And, and Jesus knew the temptation and he knew the pitfalls that came with the object of money. And so it's why he spent so much time teaching on this critical subject. Like in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, when he says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he says, You can't serve both God and money. You can't do it. You know, Jesus isn't interested in making the top 10 in your life. He's not going to settle for second place. Uh, He won't settle for anything but first place, first priority in your life. And 2,000 years ago, and still today, Jesus knew that the greatest competition for your heart and my heart was this object of money. He, He knows the pull and he knows the impact that it has on your heart. And so in Matthew chapter 6, he says you can't serve both. You can't have two masters. You can't serve both God and money at the same time. And so the question is, what is it for you? I mean, we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. We talk about it a couple of times a year. We're going to talk about it again in the future. But when it comes to you, when it comes to your life, and when it comes to this topic of money and possessions, what is it for you? And as we wrap up this series today, you know, to be able to ask yourself, am I going to trust in money or am I going to put my full faith and my full trust, my life, in God? You know, am I going to put my hope in the things that I can accumulate for myself here on earth and by doing so, therefore transfer my trust to those things and what I can accomplish for myself, where again is my trust going to be in money? Are you going to pursue Jesus Christ with every single bit of your life? Or is, he, is Jesus Christ just going to be the Lord of some of your life? He wants to be the Lord of all of your life. It's his prayer. It's my prayer for all of us. You know, too often, I think we make our relationship with Jesus Christ a lot like ordering a pizza from Papa Murphy's. You know, you go in and you say, you know, I'll take some extra cheese. I'll have a little bit of sausage, put some onions on there, put some tomatoes, maybe some pepperoni on there. But if you're like me, no olives. All right. Keep the olives, you know, off the pizza. And we sort of do that with our faith, too. And so we're like, you know, I like the forgiveness part and I'm really into the salvation part. And I'll give some of my time and I'll be here on Sundays. But when it comes to the money part, I just think this is an area that I know best. Like, God, you can have every bit of me, but there's this one little area, this, this, there's this area of my finances where I feel like I know a little bit better. And so, God, it, it's really my money. And sometimes my attitude, God, is, is it's my life. And, and if it's your money, then it really is your life. And if God isn't first in your finances right now, then he's not the Lord of your life. I mean, your money still has that place. And Jesus says you can't serve both God and money. You know, I, I think in so many ways it's a hard issue. I mean, I know it infects my heart and maybe it infects your heart. It's a heart issue for us. And, and we're forced to ask that question. Am I going to surrender my heart to money and wealth and possessions? Or am I going to surrender my heart and my life to Jesus Christ? I'll tell you what God wants for your life. He wants your heart. He will settle for nothing less than all-out surrender from you and from me. And we're going to talk about that starting next week. We're going to start a brand new series next week called Not a Fan where we're going to attempt, we're just going to make a a statement, we're going to move forward in a way of saying, I'm not going to be a fan of Jesus Christ, but I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I want you to come and be a part of that. But in this My Money, My Life series, if you were here last week, Steve talked to us about the importance of having a plan, a plan for spending, a plan for saving, a plan for giving. You know, the Bible teaches that we are to be good stewards, good managers of the money, of the resources that God has given to us. You know, you're going to have a hard time being a good manager of the resources that God has given to you if you don't have a plan. 
And two weeks ago, we talked specifically about money and how money fights for it. It's continuously fighting for this position in our hearts. And, and when you put your money before God, when you say, you know, my money is going to come first in all things, then you're more likely to put your faith in your trust in this item, this object of money. And so as a way of redirecting our hearts, as a way of getting our hearts moving in the right direction, I challenge you to start tithing. That was my challenge to you two weeks ago, that you would begin to start tithing, to give at least 10% of your income in 2012 to the church that you call yours. Now, I want to remind you, you can't buy God's love. You can't buy God's forgiveness. These things are unconditional. These are the gifts that have been given to us. But I believe that the Bible teaches that every Christian, that every follower of Jesus that is continuously moving forward and pursuing God, that we're called to tithe. That God, the Bible instructs us that we are called to tithe. That God uses these resources for His work through His church in this world. But He also uses your giving and my giving as a way of positioning and directing our hearts so that we're more closely focused on Him. I mean, I believe He is after your heart and He is after my heart and He will not give in until He gets it. And so when you give... And when you make it a habit and a practice in your life, you're positioning your heart. You're making a declaration of who you want to be the Lord of your life. And so is it God or is it money? You know, I shared a bit of my story in this area a couple of weeks ago that no one ever taught me about giving and tithing. And it wasn't until after I graduated from college and Jenny and I were married that, that we finally stopped ignoring what we believed to be the teaching of Scripture and some of the pastors of the churches that we were attending. And we just said, you know what, we've got to do this. We believe that God has called us to give. And so it was just like one week we started setting aside 10% of what we were making and giving it to the church. And it was hard for a while. And there had to be a change of plans and there had to be a change of lifestyle. And, and some months it was a little frightening because you, you set aside this money and you give it and you wonder, well, am I going to have enough? Or you start asking those questions of all the other things that I could do with this money. And, and I'll just be honest with you, I was one stressed out dude. I mean, I really was. I mean, we had a mortgage, you know, we had a credit card bill that was coming every month. We had all of these expenses that we were paying. And so, you know, every time we gave, it was like watching it walk away thinking, you know, what could we do with it? You know, what, what if we need it? You know, what's going to happen next month? And, and we were thinking about starting a family and what it would be like to live off of one income. Hey, I'll be real honest with you, you know, giving and tithing, getting started, it's not easy. I'm not going to promise you that it's an easy thing to do. It's not an easy step for everyone. And this is especially true if you and your spouse aren't on the same page. You know, thankfully, Jenny and I were on the same page, mostly. It came a lot easier for her. I mean, again, I was the one that was stressed out all the time and complaining all the time and worrying all the time. And so you know what she did? She fired me. She did, really. She relieved me of all of my financial responsibilities around the house. To this day, I just get an allowance, you know, every two weeks. That's the way that we roll. Now, what I'm really working on is trying to figure out how to get out of the dishes, all right? But I haven't been able to accomplish that just yet. But seriously, we've been giving and we've been tithing now for 11 years. And we have learned the importance of being on a plan. It was just a few years ago that we went through Financial Peace University here at Genesis Church. And if you have never been through it before or you need to go through it again, I would highly recommend it to everyone because now we tell our money where it's going every month. We tell our money where it's going. We have a little more confidence uh, in where we're going and our planning in it. You know, there's, there's a reason why God tells you to give of your first. You know, again, it's a way of making a statement with your heart. It's a way of making a statement with your life where you're going to put your trust. It's a reminder that God, it all comes from you. And you have simply trusted me with a portion of it. I'm going to honor you first. And so we give to this church and we give to things like Next. And we've given over and above to other opportunities. And, And I'm not saying we've arrived. 
No way. Especially me. I've got a lot of work still to be done on my heart, but we're doing everything that we can to honor God with our finances. I know like many of you too. But it's not easy to get started, but it's worth it. And so my challenge for you, you know, two weeks ago is the same again today. I want to challenge you to tithe in 2012. That if you don't do it, I want to challenge you to set aside a portion of your income every month, every paycheck, and to give it to God as a way of trusting Him, as a way of acknowledging that you want Him to be the first in your life. Now again, what does it mean to tithe? It's just like this. It's this practical that every time you get 10 of these, you just take one and you say, God, because it all comes from you, every bit of it comes from you, I'm making a statement that I trust you, that I am giving in such a way, I'm asking my heart to follow where my money's going. I'm trusting you, God. Again, it all comes from you. I I realize that this is my starting place, but every time I get 10 of these, I'm making it a practice. I'm going to take at least one and I'm going to give it to you, God, as a way of saying that my heart, my trust is in you. Now, again, the tithe, the tithe means a tenth. It means 10%. It's math. It's God's historical method to get us on the path of giving. You know, God has a plan for his people that goes all the way back to the very beginning. It's the plan that he had in mind, even for his old covenant children. We see this in scripture. Uh, We see this in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, which says it this way, a tithe of everything from the land, a tithe of what? Of everything. There it is again. Whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth. With the what? With the first fruits. Not the leftovers, but the first fruits of all your crops. And when God noticed that the hearts of his children were beginning to head in another direction, when they weren't giving, when they weren't acting, when they weren't living and trusting like they should, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 through 10, uh, he sends a prophet, Malachi, who speaks these words. He says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, How do we rob you? How do we rob God today? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, he says, the whole nation of you because you are robbing me. Now verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. You know, God says, test me in this. Again, this is the only place in Scripture where God challenges us, where He gives us permission to test Him in this area of giving. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Every single one of you, there are no exceptions in this. A tenth of all you have, return it to me. We're returning it to Him because it already belongs to Him, so we're not necessarily really even giving it. We're returning it to Him. It's a statement of trust. Again, it's a statement that we make of saying who our Lord really is. Now, what does God promise? God promises blessings. Now, I believe that God wants to bless you in your finances. I believe that God wants to bless me and my home and and in this area of finances. He wants to pour out so much blessing in your life that as the scriptures say, that you will not have enough room for it. It's his promise for us. Now, what does that blessing look like? Well, Paul goes on to talk about it in 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, he says it this way. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. So whoever gives sparingly will also be on the receiving end sparingly when it comes to this area of blessings. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, verse 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what? For God loves a cheerful giver. And then verse 8, and God is able to make grace, all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 
You know, this scripture reminds us that those who refuse to trust God in this area of finances are missing out on God's promised rich blessings for every single one of us. I I believe that God wants to bless you in all ways. I believe that he wants to bless you in this area of finances. And he's not going to bless you financially until you begin to trust him with your finances. He won't do it until you start honoring him with with your finances. So here's what I believe. I believe we all want this. I really do. I'm crazy enough to believe that we all want this. I mean, we really do deep down in our hearts. We want to be able to trust God in every aspect of our lives, especially financially. And we want to be givers. And we want to be known as generous givers. But for many people, it's frightening. I mean, it's really challenging. It's really frightening to begin this journey of giving if you've never done it before. And, and so there's fear that comes with it and there's anxiety that comes with it. I mean, these are normal, natural feelings and sometimes it moves beyond that. Sometimes it's a pride issue for people. I think sometimes it's an arrogance issue for people. Now, the last thing that I want you to do is to give out of guilt. I don't want you to give out of guilt. I, I, I don't want you to let me lead you to the wrong place here in this area of giving. So don't give out of guilt. But in fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul, talks about our attitude in giving. He says it again in verse 7. Let's look at it again. He says, each man, each man and woman should give what he has decided in his heart to give. How? Not reluctantly or under compulsion, not out of guilt. For God loves what? God loves a cheerful giver. So as a way of wrapping up our series, I just want to quickly just give you some attitudes that I believe that God wants to see in us as we give, as we trust him for his blessings, as we trust him in our finances. And we see the first one here. I believe that God wants you to give cheerfully. I believe that God wants every single one of us to give cheerfully, not out of guilt. God loves a cheerful giver. He's not looking at the gift given, but he's looking at the giver. He's looking at the heart of the giver. I mean, because remember, he's after your heart, he's after mine. And that word cheerful comes from the Greek word hilarious. It's where we get the word hilarious. You know, God, God is not only saying, I, I, I want to see a cheerful giver, I want to see a hilarious giver. You know, if you've been around here for a while, or maybe this is your first, it, we, we cheer, we get a little excited when we give the offering. Sometimes it's a little awkward because it doesn't always go over so well. Have you ever noticed that? But, but it's our way of making a statement that, hey, we're excited for what God has given to us, and we're returning to this to Him, and we're excited to see what He's going to do with it. Now let's look at a few of the details in these verses again that we see here in 2 Corinthians, beginning in verse 6. Look at verse 6 again. He says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He says, whoever sows generously will reap generously. And so these are some basic farming principles here that when it comes to God's blessings in your life, if you give generously, God's going to return it generously. But if you, if you give sparingly or reluctantly, Well, that's what you can expect on the other end. And then Paul says, you'll get whatever you get back out or you'll get back whatever you put into it. And then he says, make up your mind what you will give. Now, I think this is real interesting that Paul is even reminding us the importance of having a plan to to think it through and to be strategic in your giving, you know, to plan out what you're going to give. Don't just be reckless. All right. Don't be reckless in your giving, but think about it. Have a plan, you know, just like Steve talked about for us this past week. You know, I've met people here at Genesis Church, faithful people who give sacrificially and give generously to God's work, not only in their tithing, but even over and above uh, to things like our next expansion project. And there's faith and trust involved in their giving. 
but, but there's some planning involved in it too. And so people think about bonuses they're going to receive or tax returns that are going to come. You know, even as we were getting ready for our next project a little over a year and a half ago, you know, of hearing people who are saying, you know, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to cancel direct TV or we're going to postpone a vacation or we're not going to eat out as much as we used to eat out. Maybe you, some of you have discovered some of your spending habits if, if you took Steve's challenge even last week to begin tracking some of your expenses. And so as you think about tithing, again, I'm not asking you to be reckless or sloppy in it. I mean, some things might have to change. I mean, you might have to adjust the way that you're living or some of your habits, but sit down and think through what you might give and how God may want to use that. But in that, don't give out of guilt. And if you're in any way challenged to give next week and that motivation is coming out of guilt, please don't. Don't give out of guilt because God wants a cheerful giver. You know, that's the worst thing that we can do because God says to give cheerfully because it comes from God and he's blessed you. And so think about the work that he wants to do in your life and how he wants to work through you for greater things. I remember back, it's been five or six years ago, we had actually moved from Michigan to Kentucky. And while in Michigan, we had made a pledge, much like many of you, to a building project. And when we moved to Kentucky, we hadn't yet fulfilled our gift to that church. And so as we moved to Kentucky, I had sort of made up in my mind that we were relieved from that financial responsibility. My wife didn't see it that way. Uh, She sort of feels like following through is important, you know, and being people of your word and people of your faith and stuff. And so, you know, we kind of went at it on the subject a little bit. And then I changed my mind and decided that she had thought or, you know, that this was the right thing to do. And so I just have to be honest, I reluctantly, we reluctantly, I'm not, not my wife, I reluctantly, we gave that gift. You know, we wrote out a check for that gift. And over the next couple of weeks, God really pounded in on my life and my heart. I remember And he humbled me through that process and taught me and reminded me of the importance of giving cheerfully. And then you know what he did a couple of weeks after we gave that gift? Well, you know how we closed on a house in Michigan and closed on a house in Kentucky and there was just some overpaid money and some refunds in the process? And wouldn't you know it, it wasn't exactly to the dollar, but within a couple of weeks we received a check back that almost covered the amount that we went ahead and trusted him with in that giving. That wasn't me. That was God. He's good. He's promised to bless us if we'll trust him, if we'll make him the first in our finances. A couple of weeks ago, I got this email after our first week in this My Money, My Life series. Uh, this, this family wrote it this way. They write, I just wanted to let you know your message, although normally not a popular topic, came across well today. When my wife and I first started out, we thought we couldn't afford to tithe, and we were right. If you put things first, possessions, money, you'll never be able to afford to tithe. And what we quickly learned once we started is that we could have been so much further ahead if we would have started earlier. Once we made the conscious decision to give to tithe and to tithe with a cheerful heart, our lives began to move in a very positive way. We didn't only start tithing, but we also stopped arguing about money. And if we couldn't afford it, we just didn't do it or buy it. And life became very simple. And I would hate for anyone to tithe in order to get something out of it However, our income really began to grow after we started tithing. We even tithed off of our income taxes and bonuses. I also noticed that we don't have a lot of the normal car or house issues we used to have. I'm not saying our members will stop having issues once they start giving, but our money issues seem to fade away. And then he says this, tithing is the ultimate statement of belief, having faith that God is our ultimate provider. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. 
You know, he loves when our attitude in giving comes out of an attitude of gratitude that when we remember it all belongs to him. You know, giving is a way of directing our hearts. It's getting our hearts started in the right direction. It's saying it all belongs to God and he is going to be my first love in all things. And so Paul says to give cheerfully. And why can we give cheerfully? Because we can trust that God's doing great work with these gifts. That you and I, that when we give, we're planting seeds. You know, much like he describes here, we're planting seeds for all eternity. That your generosity is planting seeds that are going to far outlast anything that you could ever buy or accumulate for yourself here on earth. And that's what happens when you give to Genesis. I mean, we're planting seeds. That's our work as we help people find their way back to God. You know, the seeds that we plant today, the lives that we impact today are going to last for eternity. You know, the seeds that we plant as a church, you know, right here in this community with our own people and the people that are coming and through our schools and and through ministries like Bethel Lutheran Food Pantry right here in this town. You know, it's why we're planting seeds in Carmel and why it's not going to end with Carmel, but it's only going to grow from beyond there. And we're planting seeds with organizations like Shepherd Community out of Indianapolis and Nehemiah Vision Ministries in Haiti right now. Your giving is planting seeds through the lives of Brandon and Katie Hutchins as they serve over this next year in Haiti. And with David and Carrie Hartman as they get ready to go serve the Muslim people in Central Asia. And people like Jeff and Kim Smith as they work with Genesis West Plains Church in Southern Missouri. Seeds. Seeds that will bear fruit. You know, yes, when you give, part of your giving pays for coffee cups and and water that's flushed down the toilet, you know, and and all these things are really important, but it's people. I mean, it's people that we're talking about. Like for every gift, there's a face involved. I mean, it's a 13-year-old girl who shows up with her friend or it's a husband and wife who finally give in to a friend's invitation and they come here and before you know it, he surrenders his life to Jesus and then his life changes and his marriage starts to change and his kids are changed forever and then their kids' lives are going to be changed forever. We're helping people find their way back to God. I mean, that's what our giving is going to do. We're planting seeds. It's the lavish harvest that Paul describes for us. You know, Stephen King talks about the joy of giving. Yes, Stephen King, the guy who wrote Misery and others. And you wouldn't expect him to to write something like this. But even Stephen King recognizes the importance of giving cheerfully. Here's what he writes. A couple of years ago, I found out what you can't take it with you means. I found out while I was lying in a ditch on the side of a country road covered in mud and blood with the tibia of my right leg pointing out the side of my jeans. Only Stephen King could write that. Like the branch of a tree torn down in a thunderstorm. He says, I had a MasterCard in my wallet, but when you're lying in the ditch with broken glass in your hair, no one accepts MasterCard. We come in naked and broke. We may be dressed when we go out, but we're just as broke. Stephen King broke, not a crying dime. All the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, and all of that is mostly smoke and mirrors. That I'm, this is Stephen King, all right? And then listen to what he says. I want you to consider making your life one long gift to, the, uh, to others. Why not? All you have is on loan anyway. All that lasts is what you pass on. I ask you to begin giving, and I think you'll find in the end that you got far more out of it than you ever have, and you did more good than you ever possibly dreamed. Stephen King. And if Stephen King can get excited about giving, what does it mean for followers of Jesus Christ who give and plant seeds and the eternal ramifications for giving to God's work through a church like this? God wants to bless you in your giving. He does. And so he reminds us that as you give, as we give, to give cheerfully. The second thing is to give your best. 
Now, how, how many of you do leftovers at your house? We got any leftover kind of homes here? Okay. Uh, we do a lot of leftovers at our house. My wife is a great cook. We have some great meals. And when there's anything leftover, I'm pretty certain what I'm going to have for lunch or dinner, you know, the next night. We finish out. We clean out those leftovers. Now, in my mind, there's some leftovers worth getting excited about in the microwave, you know, here at church on a Monday afternoon. You know, if it's pizza or tacos or maybe a really good soup or something. I'm not a big pasta leftover kind of a guy. Spaghetti especially. It always is, you know, seems to dry out, and so I'm not a big fan of the pasta leftover. But when you have people over to your house, what do you normally do? You serve the best, right? I mean, it, unless you know them really well and it's kind of an unexpected visit, it's usually not leftovers. I mean, you're serving your best. And when you look at the Bible and you see how God feels about the stuff in our lives, God doesn't want leftovers either. He's looking for our best. In fact, there's a word in the Old Testament that describes this. It's called the first fruits. The God wants our first fruits. Now, this was a term used in farming, this agricultural society that, that, that Paul is writing here to describe the very best crops. All right, and the very first of the grain, the very first from the herd. And so the first animal, the firstborn, the first fruit from every season, you gave that as a way of acknowledging who God was. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 19, it's written this way. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. He says, bring the best. The Bible reminds us to bring the best. Now, this was a big faith move in the ancient world because whatever you harvested in the previous season, you had to save that up all year round till the next season. I mean, there's no Kroger, you know, down the street. And so what you produce in the harvest is going to get you through that next year until the next harvest. And so imagine what it was like for the harvest to finally come and you harvest that first bit of grain and you're watching your savings be depleted. I mean, my tendency would be, okay, let's take the first and let's build back up our barns and then we'll give some of the leftovers to God. But that's not what God's looking for. And think about the anxiety that comes with it because if some bugs come along or there's war or or, or a bad weather storm or something. I mean, the harvest could be destroyed. Now, you can see what God's getting at by saying, bring your first. Because I know when you bring your first, you're bringing your heart with it. And there's a level of trust that comes with bringing your first fruits. The first fruit, the first crop was really important. I mean, you know, see the faith in such a move. You know, see how it becomes a trust issue for people. It's a matter of the heart. It's either going to be God or money. It's either going to be God or possessions. Now, who, who will I put my faith and trust in? Another email that I received a couple of weeks ago went like this. He says, Paul, great job on the message this morning. I always love when emails start out that way. Uh, Paul, great job. But he says this, I don't think you can ever remind us enough to give. I know there have been a few times where I've thought what I could have done with all of the money if I didn't tithe. Now, I'm not a real materialist sort of person, but I do have things that I'd like to invest in. But I think that God has been showing me, especially recently, that someday he'll be able to show me all, to tell me all, and even maybe say, look around and see what I have done with all of the money you faithfully gave. I'm discovering, he writes, that his investments, I know, are working out a lot greater than mine. So God says, give your best. He says, give your first, be faithful in your giving, be faithful in your tithing. You know, tithing is a plan to get us started, to get our hearts moving in the right direction. And so I want to challenge you to tithe. And if you're not doing that, and you really believe that God is moving in your heart and you want to honor him and you want to make him the first of every bit of your life, I want to challenge you to tithe. Maybe starting next week to think about your income, to decide, as Paul says, what you're going to give, to plan what you're going to give and make it your first transaction every month. Do it as a way of saying, God, you get my best. 
Not my leftovers, but my best. Proverbs 3, 9 again says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Solomon says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. He says, Put God first in your finances. It's how we honor Him. It's an important step in being able to say that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And then final thought for today, and I think especially for those that maybe are already growing in this area of giving and tithing, the final thing is to give generously. That as we give, to give generously. I like what one person says. He says, tithing is not the ceiling. It's more like the floor. Tithing is not the finish line. It's really the starting blocks. Now, what does the Bible have to say about this for us? Well, the Bible describes several different tithes that the Jewish people were commanded to give. There was the Lord's tithe. Uh, There was the festival tithe. There was the poor tithe. One person calculates that if you factored it all out, that that a faithful Jewish person was giving anywhere from 20 to 25% of their income back to God every single year. Now, that's the Old Testament. All right, we don't live under the Old Testament anymore. We're living in the day of the New Testament now. And because of Jesus, you and I, we're experiencing what it means to be as followers. We're no longer under law, but we're now under grace. And what's the whole principle of giving according to the New Testament? Well, I believe that Jesus came along and he upheld the Old Testament scriptures and he validated this practice of giving and of tithing. But then he said things like this. Jesus says, give as you have been given to or give as you have been prospered. And so the Old Testament really lays the foundation for tithing and giving. But in the New Testament, Jesus comes along and he gives his life as a sacrifice for us. And we're gifted with his Holy Spirit and we get to experience him in great ways and we get forgiveness. And then we live in the most affluent nation in the world today. And what does this mean for me? That when it comes to my money and my possessions, I'm just still learning that it all belongs to Him. Not 10%, but it all belongs to God, all of it. And when I look at the cross and when I look at what Jesus Christ has done for me and how my life has radically been changed forever from this day forward, I can't help but ask the question, is it worth 10% to me? I mean, is it even worth 10% to me? Or am I reminded as Jesus taught that this is only the starting place for us because Jesus said again, give as you have been given to that I'm reminded that it all belongs to him. It's not just 10%, but it all belongs to him. And so I think that starting place for us is this, is this area of tithing. It, again, it's not the finish line. It's the starting blocks for us in giving. And I don't say that to make you feel guilty. Again, I don't want you to feel guilty. I'm just saying that as you look into the future and as you see your life and as you see this God doing this greater work in you, see tithing as a starting place and not the finish line. What does it mean to give generously for you? If you don't tithe, I want to challenge you to start tithing. Again, decide what you're going to give and make it a practice and adjust you know, your plans as you need and, and start tithing. Start trusting God in this and experience the joy of giving to God and realize the rewards of honoring Him with your life and and enjoy the blessings that He promises to those who are honoring Him in giving. Now, if you're already tithing, I want to challenge you to ask God to stretch your heart because if you've been given 10% for 20 years, it might be time to take a step of faith. I mean, I hope you're not doing anything that you were doing 20 years ago. I hope you've grown in a number of different things. And and so maybe ask God to challenge you. What would it look like to, 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 to raise your giving a percentage or to give over and above to other opportunities that come up? You know, as you give, as you grow, as you ask God to do this work of generosity in you, I mean, be reminded that he wants to do that in all of us. You know, and, and that work of generosity really comes out when we get beyond the tithe. And I think when we give over and above the opportunities that come into our lives, maybe it's a missionary. You know, maybe it's just a friend down the street that you know that needs help. Maybe it's giving to a ministry like Young Life or something. 
you know, to give over and above to things like Next. You know, a number of families stepped up a couple of years ago and, and pledged over $400,000 to help us do some of the great work that's going on around this building. And if you were a part of it, I just want to say thank you. And I trust that you're experiencing, you know, God's faithfulness and his blessings in your life. And maybe you're experiencing a joy, you know, more so than others because of God's faithfulness in, in your pledge and in your promise. And, and if you made a commitment to next, please know that we're counting on your gift, even as some of this work comes to an end. And, and I hope that as God leads you, that prayerfully and faithfully, you'll be able to fulfill your gift, you know, by June the 30th and help us move forward into some other things. It's making a difference and you're planting seeds. And there are going to be other opportunities to give generously too. Uh, you know, as you know, we're going to open a brand new campus in Carmel uh, in, in August. And we're already getting started in that work. And there's a building that we've been gifted with that we're so excited to, to be a part of. And there's uh, money that's already been pledged, over $100,000 that's been pledged over the next couple of years to help us do the work that's needed to get that facility ready. But there are some great costs that are associated with opening a new campus. And so that's why on March the 4th, we're going to take a one-time offering here to help get that campus moving. And so I want to challenge you this morning to be praying about it. You know, God, how will you use me? You know, what can my family give? What do you want to do through me, you know, to help us help people find their way back to God in some other locations, you know, including this place in Carmel. Now, if you don't give, all right, but you feel God moving in you and maybe you're going to step out over the next couple of weeks and you're going to start giving for the first time or you're going to start tithing for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time. I want to tell you right now that I want to give you a pass on our Carmel offering. I want you to focus. I, I feel like that's enough of a step. You, you focus on that gift right now. You, you get a pass. Now, if you insist, we won't fight you off in that, all right? But we want to give you a pass in that. But for the rest of us, you know, you know God, what, will you, what do you want to do through me? How, how, how do you want to lead me to give? And, and what might those blessings, what might that faithfulness look like on the other side? Do you want to see God work in your life? How do you want to see him bless you in ways that you've never seen before? Give cheerfully. Give your best. And give generously. You know, there's so much more that could be said. I was feeling the burden of this even this morning, but I'm going to bring it to an end. Um, you might visit our Facebook page this week. I'm going to post just some different resources, some different messages, books that you might want to check out if you want to go a little bit further in the subject. But how do we bring it to an end? I want you to be able to say that Jesus Christ is Lord of all of my life. Not just some of my life, but all of my life. Um, I don't want your money. God doesn't need your money. But he does want your heart. He wants all of your heart. And He wants every single one of us to move from this place where we would ever be thinking of saying, it's my money, my life. To God, it's your money. It all belongs to you. And this is your life. And I want to live it faithfully for you. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we had over 20 people get baptized here. I was pretty excited. I think you'll enjoy this. Check this out. God, this earth is yours and everything in it. And my life and each of these lives here in this room today, they belong to you. The possessions, all that you've given us, it all belongs to you, God. My prayer is that every single one of us would continue on this path where we would no longer say, it's my money, it's my life, but God, it all belongs to you. My life, it belongs to you. We proclaim that in all things. Thanks for Jesus. Thanks for his grace and his mercy and forgiveness in all things. Uh, lead us down the path, Lord, that you have set for every one of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.